the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Links and Locks podcast. Yeah, that's right. They gave us our own podcast, and we actually got to name it as well. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is my friend Justin Ray from the 21st Group, and I guess we should uh, expect some chaos here, at least maybe on the back nine of the podcast, because that's all that happens these days. We're going to get into <laughs> this week's Northern Trust to start off the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs. Might talk a little women's open and uh, first, uh, Justin, how are you? And uh, have you recovered from the last two Sundays, which were like mind-numbing at what's going on out there? I'm great. Thank you for asking. And yeah, it's been an exciting run, right? I mean, it seems like every week um, around Sunday, 16th, 17th hole, I'm having to dive into the record book and look up context for some six-man playoff or some giant long playoff at the Travelers or whatever it might be. It's just been the year of or the summer, rather, when I mean, first we had the, the kind of beginning of the year, the narrative was a lot of resurgent players coming back into form, formerly elite, kind of hit a down spell and came back into the limelight. Now it just seems like we get these high-end dramatics week after week, whether it was the Olympics with the bronze medal, uh, the six-man playoff we had at the Wyndham Championship, the marathon with Harris English at the Travelers. I mean, it's just week after week is something new, isn't it? It really is, which is really cool. I remember when you and I were both at ESPN and – uh, worked on some other sports. I remember Tim Kirchin, uh, who was just like this shining bright light, like who loves the game of baseball as much as anybody would say, man, what a great game. Every single night, every single game, you can see something that you'd never seen before. I, I always think about that in golf. And I say, yeah, you know what? I guess that happens, but it's really hard to, to pick out the little things here and there. Over the last month and a half, two months, we have seen on a regular basis things that have honestly never ever happened before and speaking of one of those i i want to get into a bet that i made uh at least uh, i made on the gimme this past week because you and i were in uh, our our weekly gimme meeting about an hour ago i don't know if you got a chance to look this up yet or not and even if you didn't it's okay but i told you that on the gimme last week when we make our perfect portfolio uh one of the picks that i made of my four plays was russell henley top five finish and so i was looking pretty good first round looking leader. pretty good uh, round leader, third round leader, leading most of the final round. What was it? Through about 68, 69 holes, he had the lead. Yeah. And then he, okay, coughed it away. Ah. He's got a putt. He's got a short putt to get into a playoff. We all know by now he missed that putt. He missed the playoff by one stroke. Okay, well, I had a top five ticket. You know, hey, at least we get something out of that. No, we don't. Uh, maybe the first time in the history of the game, a guy finished one shot out of a playoff and didn't cash a top five ticket. So I was able to confirm your question. The last time there was a six-man playoff on the PGA Tour, 2001 at Riviera, Robert Allenby beat Randall Shambly, Toshi Izawa, <laughs> Dennis Paulson, Jeff Sluman, and Bob Tway. One shot out of the playoff. If you, on February 25th, 2001, had a top five ticket, I've never even seen this name before, and that's rare for that to happen for me what? looking at any PGA Tour information. Emmanuel Kanonica? I've seen the name, but boy. Like Canon, like the camera company, yeah. ICA, last name. Finished Jeez, seven Argentina? under par, one shot out of the six-man playoff. If you 
were riding with Emmanuel Canonica, and apologies if I mispronounced that gentleman's name, back in 01 at Riv, and he finished one shot out. That's the only pair you've got for the Russ Henley thing. Uh, Mr. Canonica did not lead wire to wire going into that final round, though, however. So it's a little bit more of a bitter pill for you to swallow, amigo. But with my luck, I'm surprised I did not have Canonica back in 01 <laughs> at the uh, at the Canonica uh, swing vision, I believe, uh, <laughs> yeah, on him. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's just I, I thought, and I uh, I actually texted our buddy uh, Scott Van Pelt, who does a segment in case you haven't seen it, uh, Bad Beats on ESPN Sports Center, and I said, hey, here's a good one for you, and um, he may have had a couple of bets out there on on Henley this week and English last week. I said, you know what, they were roommates at Georgia. If that dorm room wasn't haunted before, I think it might be haunted now. Get out yeah. now. If you're in there, if you're legacy 10 years or so down the road, you know, then Heckert and Habit of that room, Ugh. out, go, get out. Really? Really? I mean, I mean, I, look, they've, they've had some pretty good careers, obviously. Harris English is a top 10 player in the world, but rough month for that room. So Kevin Kisner gets the victory um, after Adam Scott grabs defeat from the jaws of victory. I, I mean, I, can three shots ever epitomize Adam Scott's career more than what we saw in that first playoff hall? A perfect drive right down the middle, a laser of an iron shot to four feet, and then doesn't even touch the hole with his butt. Uh, oh, what? I was going to say, and that overshadowed the unbelievable pars that were made to stay alive. Different things you've never seen before. <laughs> How about Siwoo Kim getting up and down from that ridiculous spot? You can't, you can hit, I can hit 70 shots from that spot and not from that when he was off the back corner of the green and mm-hmm. not get it as close as he did. That was an unbelievable shot around the green. Saves his part. Then Kevin Na is just walking in putts all day. Oh, yeah. so just Pete Kevin Na, just 60 feet away with that eagle walking it in, just, you know, like it's nothing. And then he saves his par to stay alive. And of course, none of it matters if Adam Scott misses the makes the four footer to win the cha- win the tournament. And of course, he misses it. Just yeah, it is a little bit emblematic of, of a guy who's been one of the best ball strikers on the planet for twenty years and hasn't always been the best putter. Um, and that's a little bit of an understatement. You know, it's kind of been the if 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 he putted you know twenty five percent better, he'd probably have north of twenty wins on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour, maybe another major or two. Most notably, the Open when Ernie L snatched it from him in twenty twelve, but. Um, yeah, yeah, emblematic of that. And then that's the first thing I thought of when you were, t- were saying, talking about, you know, that putt and being emblematic is just, man, I totally forgot about how great those par saves were just to get back and play that second playoff hole. Those were six of the most different pars on the same hole that you could ever have. I mean, they, we could have had six guys hit it down the fairway, six guys hit it on the green, all six missed their putts and tap in for par. And it would have been like, okay, that was kind of boring. It was like, Six guys going all different directions all over the place, making six pars completely different ways, which was really cool. If you're a huge dork like me and you spend roughly 40% of your life looking at PGA Tour (laughs) shot trails on the computer, which is what I've been doing for about 15 years now, it was a once in a lifetime experience here to see six, because they're all playing together. So you had six shot trails on the same hole and they're all different colors. Did you know they had that many colors? No, I didn't. I've only seen three. That's as many as I've ever seen is three. <laughs> Maybe four in the odd four-man playoff. But six? Totally unprecedented in the era of shot graphics. 
and then to see them all be different colors and all come together. It was like some piece of abstract art you'd find in some kind of French art museum that with, with lines and things that I don't understand that are symbolic of other, you know, greater meaning. You know, that's kind of what I, that's what I was interpreting looking at the shot trails on the uh, computer in my desk yesterday. Kudos to somebody with the PGA Tours digital and technical team who had the foresight to say, you know what? Let's throw a purple and a yellow and a green in there just in case, because you never know what's going to happen down the road. And lo and behold, they needed it. I mean, that guy is sitting there like thumping his chest in a truck somewhere on site at, uh, at, in Greensboro yesterday going, I told you guys, I told you we were going to need the purple shot trail. You guys, your time to to shine magenta line (laughs) at long last you've been uncaged shown Um, for the whole world. Can I talk a little Ryder Cup? Because this whole yeah, thing is, why not? I mean, this it's this time of year. It's controversial ground for your boy for obvious uh, reasons. You know, I mean, but. every two years like clockwork, except if there's a global pandemic that pushes it back, and it's every three years like clockwork. But uh, it's this time of year where everyone starts yelling about who should be on the Ryder Cup team, and of course, <clears throat> the obvious guy that everyone wants on the team right now is Kevin Kisner because he won yesterday, and so. We look at him and we say, well, he won. He's hot. Uh, a, a couple of myths I'd like to bust, first of all. And, and the biggest one is the notion of being hot. Because I'd like to point out that Kevin Kisner, seven days earlier in the final round in Memphis, lost 7.8 strokes to the field with his approach shots, which is remarkable that he was able to turn around this quickly and commendable that he worked on his game and obviously played much better in Greensboro. But it just goes to show that if you play really well in Greensboro in mid-August, it has absolutely no impact on how you're going to play in late September in Wisconsin on a completely different golf course. Agreed, 100%. I have nothing more to add to that. It was a point that was perfectly made. Okay, the second part of this is, look, if you want Kisner on the team, fine. You want Patrick Cantley, you want Tony Finau, you want Webb Simpson, whoever you want. Give me a reason why they should be on the team. And here's what I... Part of where I think the U.S. team has gone wrong in every year of the Ryder Cup in the last 20, other than Paul Azinger's 2008 team, where he really kind of figured out the psychological profiling of players and put guys together, not just because they said, oh, we're best friends, we want to play together, but hey, you guys, like, we've profiled you guys, we've done the research, we've looked at how you guys perform, and you guys should play well together, and it worked. And for some reason, the team went away from it afterwards. They said, okay, let's, all right, now it's Corey Pavin's turn. And like that didn't work out at all. Um, But my point is, hey, look, whoever you want on the team, give me a reason. We're playing chess, not checkers. Let's not just say, I want these six guys on the team because I don't know, I think they're good. And then you show up at Whistling Straits and on Wednesday afternoon, you go, so who's going to play with who? No, all this stuff should be done ahead of time. And when you say, well, I want this guy playing with this guy. Well, in four balls, that might make perfect sense. And in foursomes, it might make no sense. And I feel like there there needs to be a plan in place. And I take nothing away from Steve Stricker, the captain this year, who maybe he's got a plan and maybe the plan is, is going through the proper channels right now. And he's running stuff up the flagpole with his captains and other people around and other players and other people, the PGA of America, but I would like to see at least a plan. And I, I, I'd like to encourage those fans out there and our listeners who 
are obviously knowledgeable about the game to, if you're going to sit here and say, and I'm using Kisner again as the example, I want Kisner on the team. My question to you is going to be, what is his role? What are you going to do with him? Do you want to play him in four balls, foursomes, both? Are you going to have him play five sessions? I don't think so. So where are you slotting him in? Who do you want to put him with? I know a lot of people say, ah, he can play with anybody. No, that's not an answer. The answer is, I want him with him or with him in this session or that session. I happen to think he'd play really well with Brooks Kepka in a four-ball session where the two of them are like the most no-nonsense pairing since Hogan and anybody. And I think that they can go out there and have a really good time together just smashing it. But there are certain players, I wouldn't put him with Patrick Reed. That's a, an oil and water kind of pairing. And so you have to think of these things. And so I'm just encouraging, as much as I'm encouraging Steve Stricker and the assistants and everybody around the team to start planning these things, I'm encouraging our listeners, I'm encouraging the fans out there to, hey, like, take it up a notch. If you want to say so-and-so should be on the team, I'm going to follow up and say, okay, why and how and what role is that player going to play in? And let's think about these things intelligently. Um, There's a really good, I I wrote a column yesterday and uh, one of the tweeters responded with a great quote from Herb Brooks, the 1980 U.S. uh, Olympic hockey coach who said, I don't want the best players. I want the right players. And that should be the absolute mentality for Steve Stricker to the point where maybe he should even put that up in the team room. Screw them. This is your time. Yeah. Um, So full disclosure for the listeners, in case you're not aware, uh, my company, 21st Group, works closely with Team Europe on um, a myriad of things throughout the year. I won't go any further into, you know, Mm -hmm. secret sauce or any of that stuff, uh, but we work with them pretty closely and have for several years. Um, So my question would be, if you're Team USA, do you look at your roster construction as a reward for those most deserving? Is that the way you look at it? Or do you look at it as the team that puts us in the best position to win? Now, the answer might be the same. It might be the same 12 guys for both. Odds are it's not, but that's what you've got to ask yourself. Like, do you want this to be a reward for performance throughout the year, an accolade that someone can hang on their resume at the end of their career, and that's what's more important? Or is what's more important course fit and how certain players play with other potential players on your team and what advantages they can glean from, you know, they're going to tee off these alternating holes and team USA has the advantage of possibly setting up the course, to their advantage uh, to their benefit. How does that work? Like there are a lot of factors that go into it beyond, you know, or you could just look at it the way that it kind of seems like team USA has looked at in the past 2008 being ex- the exemption from that, obviously that you mentioned, is it a reward, a, a merit based, you know, placement on a roster, right? Is it, is it looked at as like an all-star team where if you look at other sports in the all-star game, no one cares who wins the baseball all-star game or the pro bowl, or, right, I mean, right. it's an entertainment product. And, and in the moment, it's fun to watch, you know, the new setup they've had in the NBA all-star game, but ultimately no one remembers if you're on the winning or losing team, right? It's looked at as an, a, a comp. This is different. You're trying to win, right? That's, that's the goal. I mean, it's, it's, it's chaos. If the Americans don't win, it's an epic tragedy. And if, you know, the Europeans beat them again on home soil, it's going to be a big deal. So you've got to look at, you know, if you're Team USA, and that is, of course, as I disclose, that's the opposition of who I work for in terms of, you know, this competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you want to go about constructing your roster? That's what I would ask. 
Yeah. And I, I think that those are all really, really good points. And again, um, I think we could all kind of take our Ryder Cup hot takes up a notch is, is, yeah. is essentially what I'm getting to. And hopefully the, the, the folks in charge. And, you know, I mentioned Paul Azinger, and, and I don't mean to not give credit to the European side, which has done a much better job of, I think, planning and preparation over the years. But I thought Paul McGinley was as good a captain as I've ever seen as well. I think McGinley and Azinger are the two on either side who I, you know, if you're, if you're basically making an all-star team of the all-star teams of the last 20 years and like, okay, let's take the best of the bet. Like give me an Azinger McGinley Ryder cup at some point it would be fantastic there. You know, I don't know about McGinley, but Azinger is probably past that point where uh, maybe he would be uh, good at that still, but he, I thought he was fantastic when he was in that role. So again, you know, just, yeah. if you're going to say, I want this guy, think about why, think about what role they would have. And, uh, and, and I think we can, we can have a, a more intelligent discussion about a lot of this. All right. We're all about our... elevating the banter here on links and locks. Right? I, I mean, I'm not just shouting numbers at you. One, 900 picks now, you know, like, well, we're trying to elevate the discourse, Jason. We're going to give you our locks <laughs> in just a minute. Nine, seven, six. J U S T I N R A Y. We are going to talk about the Northern Trust in just a minute. Don't Maybe dial that some... number. You might get something you totally uh, Yeah, that's fine. I don't know what that spells. We always do on our, on our radio show whenever, like, something comes up. It, 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 somehow, it, you know, it seeps into we, politics or COVID or masks. We always go, look, it, if you want to give us a call on the show, you want to talk about, like, politics, you want to talk about COVID, it's uh, 866-123-4567. And give us a call. Love to talk to you. Just hang on the line for as long as There are as a lot of other channels for you to tune to on your, on uh, your XM yes. devices. Yes. So uh, we're going to get to the Northern Trust. Uh, maybe we can break down the FedEx Cup itself a little bit and see if we can figure out. I, I think it's probably a lot easier than it was in the past with only uh, two events. And then, you know, you're going to get the staggered scoring. Basically, if you can right now bet for the FedEx Cup uh, and you, you nail one of the first two winners – of these playoff events, you've got a pretty good chance going into Atlanta. So we're going to get to those. Let's do our five questions first. I've come up with five questions. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is five under. Let's get to our five questions. Number one. All right. This is a very deep philosophical question. Who had the better Sunday, Kevin Kisner or Chesson Hadley? The better Sunday. Wow. That's a good one. You know, I'm going to go with Chesson Hadley based on the emotion he showed. You know, I know Kevin Kisner won the tournament, but to have your first ever ace, first of all, he said he never had one in competition or maybe Mm -hmm. ever, period, which is really difficult. That's tough to believe for a a pro who's as accomplished as he is. Mm -hmm. But to go out there, light it up with a 62 to make the playoffs by a point. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. Kevin Kisner, he's won a bunch of times. He's been on a president's cup team. He's been a top 25 player in the world. It was great for him to get a win. I'm sure it was very meaningful, but you could tell in that interview that Chesson did with Amanda Balionis that it meant a lot yesterday meant a lot to him. And it was a big deal for him to have that kind of finish. And then ultimately because Justin Rose three putted and Chesson played awesome. He gets in by a single point. I love the domino effects, the chain reactions that sometimes happen in golf. My favorite one ever still to this day. And I've talked many times uh, with this 
with Jason Gore. Uh, Jason Gore was in 2005, the best player on what was then, I believe the nationwide tour. And he won three times. And at that point they took the top 20 on the money list of the nationwide tour and they would get their PGA tour promotion. And so after he won three times, Jason Gore got promoted in season to the PGA tour and went out and won the 84 lumber towards the end of that season. What that did was made him fully exempt on the PGA tour already. So they didn't need him as one of the 20. So instead numbers two through 21 that year on the nationwide list were given their cards for the PGA tour. Number 21, a guy who wouldn't have made it unless Jason Gore won the 84 lumber was this guy named Bubba Watson. And so Bubba Watson only got his PGA tour card because Jason Gore had won. And Gore tells this great story. He says, yeah, for a couple of years, like every Christmas, he'd send me and my wife like chocolates and flowers and like thank us for it. And and I remember being there in 06, Bubba Watson played really well in the first round at the Sony Open. And I was there talking to this guy and we asked him a question like, hey, you know, who's, you know, you're not as long as like a John Daly or Tiger Woods, are you? He goes, yeah, no, I'm way longer than those guys. And he was being serious. And that was like the, the, uh, the legend of Bubba kind of started then. And it was really cool. So I love that chain reaction. Anyway, long story short, at some point in the next few years, Chesson Hadley is going to be on a major championship leaderboard or a WGC leaderboard. And if we go back, we're going to be able to trace it all back to that 62 on Sunday and say, if he doesn't do that, if he shoots one shot worse that day, then none of this ever happens because he goes back to the corn Ferry tour and maybe he doesn't make it back. And who knows what happens from there? That's a great story. I did not know that about Bubba getting in. Yeah. Um, I looked it up now. Never lost his card since. Obviously, he's a lifetime member. I mean, he's not at 20 wins, but he's probably got the money exemption. $47 million in official earnings later. A couple green jackets. How about that? That's an unbelievable story. And Jason Gore that, works for the USGA. The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the legacy of the 84 Lumber Classic. The, the domino effect goes both ways. Uh, I. I, I will tell Gore that he should have held out for like 0.1% of those career earnings at that point. And he probably could have got it from Bubba. Bubba would have been like, yeah, man, I get my card. Sure. Bubba would have made off. that trade in exchange for those flowers in 06. Really? All right. Question number two, and you alluded to it. Um, speaking of Hadley, there's no way. I, I don't expect a definitive number here, but this is an estimation from you. What percentage of PGA Tour professionals do you think don't have a hole in one in their entire lives. Man, it's got to be minuscule. I I've never had one, and I feel like I'm I'm just I'm totally on the outside looking in, just in terms of like any. I'm not a bad player. I mean, I've always been single digits since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I and I've never had one. I feel like it's almost impossible for a PGA Tour player to have not had one. I mean, I have one more still than Chesson Hadley. I'm not good. <laughs> I'm a single-digit player, but I'm not good. I, I don't deserve to have one more than a PGA Tour professional. That is, that is crazy. There was, there was something with Ches Reavy. Ches Reavy made one in East Lake about three or four years ago, and I can't remember. It was either he's got a ton of them or he's got almost none of them. But I think it was that he's got a lot. One of my favorite stats is that uh, Brian Harmon – was the third player in BJ Tour history to have two in the same round. He did it in this event a few years ago. I thought there's a Japanese player years ago. Yes. There's a Japanese player, and then there's a guy played. in the 50s who did it. 
Yeah. His sister played on tour as well. Um, you want me to keep talking so you can look that up? I see you looking yeah, at the I screen just need over like there. Twenty more seconds. It was uh, I, who was I? I was it oh, her? Oh, Miyazato. I Miyazato. It was her, the her brother, right? Of. Yeah, I remember that totally. Yes. Uh, you know, uniquely off the top of my head. Yusaku uh, Miyazato, the two thousand six <laughs> Reno Tahoe Open. There we go. The same route. And the other fella, W. Whedon, at the Insurance City Open, that was in Weathersfield Country Club, as you might remember. An amateur, nineteen fifty-five. One of those, I believe, Weathersfield's got a very short uphill par four to start off. If I'm thinking of the right course in Weathersfield, and uh, I wonder if one of those Poland ones was not even on the par three. Can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I was I not covering that, that one as well. All right, question number three. Uh, again, you you have sort of a stake in the European Ryder Cup team. I'm not gonna not gonna get too deep into this stuff, but we're talking okay. Ryder Cup. How many captain's picks is the right number of captain's picks? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I like the six and six model mm-hmm. um, to where six guys can earn their way on. And then six guys can be, whether you see it, like I said, um, through a merit type process where you think it's like a reward for being particularly good that season. Or if you want to pick six players that you think are going to fit your team best to move on. I think that gives you that kind of, flexibility and and there's a nice balance there half and half i mean i always thought that you know if you do the was it nine and three for forever you would end up with that eight and ninth spot you might end up with a player who maybe won a major championship 18 months prior and you don't there's really no correlation between you know performing well at the let's just say 2015 masters or whatever and then however you do at the 2016 Ryder cup i'm just making up two Mm -hmm figurative things there um yeah i i, I kind of like six and six i wonder what you think yeah uh, i'm okay with it i i was wondering if you would come up with something like analytically where you said you know hey the right number is to have 12 captains picks and put it all on the captain or the right number is to have zero and to have everybody try to qualify i know from from a statistical perspective if there was a a right or wrong number leaning either way well the folks at home can now be assured that this is very this is a Totally off the top of the head answer because I had absolutely the processors in the old cranium didn't go <laughs> off and give you a beep boop beep boop a number to tell you right away what the answer was. No prep time there. Um, just me as a as a dude saying, yeah, kind of like six and six. But right. I'm sure right. if I dug into it, I mean, there would be there's probably reasonable cause to say make it twelve captains picks. But at that point, you're you know you're putting so much pressure on the captain. It's probably not an enviable position to even want i mean i don't know there's probably some some players who would relish it like can you imagine phil been being given the power of yeah, being phil, able to pick the entire team phil's gonna want 12 <laughs> captain's picks love it death age in 25 phil gets all the captain's picks steve stricker doesn't strike me particularly as obviously he's he's an alpha dude he's won a ton of golf tournaments but delegating a little bit and maybe 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 not as relishing of that kind of situation as as maybe like lefty would be yeah uh speaking of steve stricker um question number four uh in the annals of surprise leaderboards just strange quirky leaderboards in the past you know 20 years since the turn of the century where does the 2009 i guess it was then barclays now northern trust at 
Liberty National as it is this week. Where does that one rank? And it's it's okay. It's not Y Yang beating Tiger. It's not Sean McKeel winning. But you know, there's some other ones that are gonna you know jump out. But Heath Slocum wins by one over a, a foursome of runners up that includes Tiger Woods, Ernie Els, Padraig Harrington, and Steve Stringer. That's up there. That's really up there. The first one that stood out to me, not the 2014 PGA Championship when Rory won, but two years prior at Kiwa Island. Rory ran away with it, right? Yes. Can you name the man who finished runner-up to Rory McIlroy? David Lynn. David Lynn is correct. He's, he's not even in golf anymore, right? He's not even in No. Brother. Right. Um, but that was a, that leaderboard, Rory won by eight. Carl it was Peterson. Right, that, that 20, that's a weird time. That 2010 to 2012. Was, was there Carl Peterson Murphy. on that leaderboard? Carl Pedersen was part of the picture there. Hegan finished third. Uh, Blake Adams, Jamie Donaldson, <laughs> Peter Hansen. Like, it was a very odd dichotomy of players kind of all over the place. Yeah. The Open Championship will give you a handful of those throughout history, too, where you'll look back and you'll be like, what? Like, how did that guy almost win? Like you, and you come up with like some first and second round leaders there, but yeah, for sure. That, uh, that Heath Slocum week with those guys right behind him was one of the wilder ones. Very funny personal story. Uh, earlier that week, I was working for ESPN at the time. Everything was all tiger all the time. And you're trying to get tiger stories. And I don't remember what it was, but I went up to Heath Slocum and I, I tried not to do the whole like song and dance. Usually when you go up to a player, it's like, Hey, how you hitting it? Hey, What do you think of this golf course? Oh, you know what? I also had this question about Tiger Woods that I wanted to ask you. And you kind of soft shoe it a little bit and let them talk about themselves and then get into the question that you really want to ask. And I think I I, I said, you know, I know Heath a little bit. I'm just going to kind of jump right into the, hey, I just want to ask you something about Tiger. You know, we ask. And then I kind of, oh, good answer. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Then, oh, let me just get one more thing about that. And and finally looks at me and goes, you ask me anything about myself or is it all just Tiger? And did kind of in a nice way. It wasn't me. And I, I'm really sorry. I'm working on something about Tiger. I just, I wanted to talk to you. You're a good speaker. And I, no, no, I get it. But maybe next time you ask me something about myself, I said, absolutely. You got it. Four days later, the guy won the damn golf tournament and beat Tiger by one. So perfect. There you go. You just say, I work for ESPN. We cover, <laughs> we cover 1.5 players. It's true. At that yeah. time. You know, That's why that I'm with way. the Action Network and <laughs> off that right now because I like covering everybody. Right. Yeah. We like talking about the whole thing. I lo- love that, Millman. I can do whatever I fucking want. Question number five. Please move on. Here's a hundred bucks. You take it. You get one play for this week's Women's Open. Are we allowed to call it the Women's British Open or is it just Women's Open? AIG Women's Open is the nomenclature that the sponsors prefer, but Women's British is fine with me. Okay. Um, who you got? I'm going to go with a player who the last few times that she closed out a tournament with a red hot round, she backed it up with a big week. Lydia Ko finished last week, either 62 or 63. I'm not looking yeah. at it, but went yeah. nuts, finished runner up. Reminded me a lot of what she did at the ANA Inspiration when she nearly caught Avitanicate. Yeah. When Lydia Ko almost caught Patty Tavitanicate, she went crazy. And then the following week, she went out and won Lotte by 100 shots. That's kind of the way it feels this week. She also did that. She finished really low. I think the Evian championship in 2015, 2016, and then went out the next week and nearly won. Um, she builds off a momentum like that. Give me Lydia Ko. I think that would be a great cap to uh, an awesome major season in 2021. 
I really like that. I had her to win the Olympics competition a few weeks ago. She, of course, wound up winning a bronze to chase her silver from uh, a few years earlier. I'm going to go with a little bit of a long shot this week. One of my okay. new favorite players, and I've, I've been watching her from afar for a while because she's played really well uh, in Europe. And, and this one is, of course, sort of more of a home game than playing over in the U.S., but she's fared really well. And she was actually up there in the Olympics as well. And just nothing was going right. And I just love the fact that she was getting mad. She's she's like, uh, uh, give me like a a Thomas Peters or a John Rahm on the PGA Tour. Emily Christine Peterson. Emily okay. K. Peterson. Uh, she's a really good player. She's fiery. Um, I, I like it. I like the fact that she plays with a little emotion. And uh, I think she could have a good week. I thought you were going to go Matilda Castro in there. The I like her too. Yeah. Uh, Who won on the L.E.T., when she needed to, so she could get eligibility for the Solheim Cup team. So I thought maybe you're going there, but that's another good pick. Yeah, she also played well last week, kind of hovered around the top of the leaderboard there for a while. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get to uh, the Northern Trust this week. I am here in Jersey City, New Jersey. Beautiful Jersey City. But I, I, I actually mean it. I would have said that 13 years ago for the uh, – or 12 years ago for the 09 – I stayed uh, in Northern Jersey Coast for Coast the President's good. Cup in 17, and it was gorgeous. It, it's actually – it's gotten very good. I, uh, I'm i a big fan of of being at this event. Uh, there was a really from... cool uh, – the thing I remember most, a re- it was right after David Bowie passed away or a few months after. Mm-hmm. There was a huge mural of David Bowie. I'm not sure if it's still there, but mm-hmm. um, it was kind of like when you entered – I'm not sure if it was Hoboken or, or where I was staying, but it was right there on the water, really nice, really cool area. So if anyone's around there and sees that, that's that was the thing that stuck out to me. I really like that. Yeah, good spot. So – um, look at the odds from DraftKings this week. Uh, John Rahm, of course, because whenever he comes back from COVID, he wins. It's happened all one time <laughs> since then. So there's a narrative, at least for you. He is eight to one, the tournament favorite. Jordan Spieth, 12 to one. Then we start getting into some bigger numbers on some really good players. DJ, 16. Colin Morikow is 16. Shoffley's 18. Rory is 22. Brooks is 22. JT is 25. Bryson's 25. Daniel Berger, 28, same with Abraham Anser and Paul Casey and Scotty Scheffler and rounding out this top tier, Patrick Cantley and Victor Hovland at 30 to one. Uh, quite frankly, I can tell you, Jay uh, Ray, that you can tell me any name in this field that you really like or really don't like. And I go, huh, OK, I, I, I'm having a really tough time this week. There, there's not much that I've found looking back at past editions of this event at Liberty National where I go, OK. You've got to bang the ball out there. Okay, it's it's just iron play. It's just kind of you go out there and play well. Okay, yeah, I, ball striking is always going to rise to the top a little bit, but um, I, I've picked guys. I've written my preview. There are certain guys that I like, but uh, you can certainly help convince me otherwise uh, a little bit here. So who do you like from that top tier? Well, like I mean, not a ton of history. You know, the three PGA Tour events, three times the Northern Trust has been here, and then the President's Cup, and that's really – you know, that's the only elite type competition we've had at Liberty National. It's more known for its visual appeal really than anything else so far in its young history. But looking back, a key course statistic for me, more than 50% of the approach shots in 2019 came from 175 yards or more away. And that ranked as the sixth highest rate on the PGA Tour that season. So not astronomical, but well above average in terms of the number of longer iron shots you'll see. More than 25% of those approach shots in 2019 were from more than 200 yards away. That was also the sixth most. So um, it's something that 
maybe you're not going all the way in on statistically in terms of making your picks, but it's something to be aware of. I think it could be a stat that tips the scale a little bit. The other thing that's been common in the three previous times that held this tournament here, the greenside rough has been really penalizing. Despite this being an elite field every year, it's ranked seventh or tougher in average scrambling percentage from the rough. 2019, it was about 7% tougher to get up and down from the rough than the average PGA Tour course. Patrick Reed, of course, we all know, won that week, elite short game. He was six for seven scrambling out of the rough that week. So didn't find it that much, didn't hit it in, in there that often. That's probably the biggest key to succeeding when you do that, right? He's avoiding it altogether. Right. When he did, he got up and down. Some interesting players when you consider those statistics. Paul Casey leads the PGA Tour in average proximity this season from 175 and out. He is also second on tour in scrambling percentage from the rough. So <laughs> that's kind of an interesting fit for me and a guy who's had some high finishes here in the last couple of months. Uh, the four best players in average score to par when you're 175 yards away or further, John Rahm, surprise, surprise, Bryson, Xander Shoffley, Webb Simpson. So look, it's a correlation to the top of the board because guess what? Elite iron play means you know, elite performance at the top of the world's game. But um, yeah, that's, those are the two key statistics I'm looking at longish type irons, 175 and out, and then being able to get up and down from difficult rough. Yeah. Uh, John Rahm finished T3 here two years ago, and he could just be the card wrecker this week. Just like we had Webb Simpson last week where it was like, do you like Webb Simpson? Yeah, of course I like Webb Simpson in Greensboro. The guy beats everybody every year. Um, and so, you know, he finished one shot out of the playoff on Sunday, but, uh, it's really hard to get away from that. And he's the guy that you, you don't want to chase him at a really short number, but you also feel like if you don't take him somewhere, you're kind of missing out. So I, I won't have any real shares of John Rom other than in DFS, but uh, I do like Rom. The other couple of guys that I'm looking at right now, I speak again, I'm, I'm not giving you anything you don't know, but, uh, he's just been so consistent nine top tens and 16 starts here in 2021. I still think he's played well enough to put another uh, notch in that belt to have a, another title in his name at some point. Again, I don't know that I'm chasing 12 to one, but at some point, like, you know, if he gets off to a little bit of a sluggish start this week uh, and that jumps to say 18 to one or 20 to one early on, I, I might jump on that. Then the other guy that I've picked to win this week is Daniel Berger played really well here in the 2017 President's Cup. He's played really well in his last three starts as, uh, excuse me, last four starts as three finishes of eighth or better, just trending in the right direction. I feel like he's a guy that, you know, we talk about these fiery guys getting motivated for all sorts of things. You know, it's, a, it's always a good time to win on the PGA Tour. It's probably a better time to win on the PGA Tour right now because of all the spoils that come with everything. But he's a guy that can get very motivated by the FedEx Cup playoffs by the potential of making the U.S. Ryder Cup team. I feel like he's going to come out, play some good golf. He's also played a lot of Northeast golf, just outside of tournament golf, competitive golf in his life. So uh, I think that could be a good one as well. For Berger, too, it goes back to what I was saying about the U.S. team regarding being put on the Ryder Cup as more of a merit-based thing instead of a fit thing. I think that, I mean, look, you want to lock up a spot on the Ryder Cup team, you know, it – like it or not, in terms of the way the U.S. team approaches the system, which I, I personally don't necessarily agree with when you're going with the competition, in the situation he's put in, Daniel Berger wants to make that team. I mean, a win is going to pretty much lock that up. So um, points-wise, even if it's not points-wise, it would be perception-wise. Going back to Spieth, his numbers on um, approach play 
not as strong with his long irons as he is with his middle and short range irons. So mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of cause for concern, but like you said, so consistent five straight top 20 finishes had a great weekend in Memphis in his last start. It's so hard to pick against him at this point. The guy who's most interesting to me at the top of this board is Dustin Johnson. He won four and a half points at the president's cup here in 2017. It's absolutely dominant shows up 2019. He's the outright leader after 36 holes looks like peak DJ in full flight. And then he lost it on the weekend and finished outside the top 20. His ball striking numbers were abysmal on the weekend. I don't know which guy's going to show up. Eighth at the open, missed a cut at the 3M. Tenth in Memphis. I told you what he did the last couple times at Liberty National. Any result he has would not be remotely surprising. And he's, you know, for a guy who's been so consistent for so many years, week to, you know, on the, on the whole basis of his career, Week to week, it could be a really interesting watch because over the last 18, 24 months, we've seen a guy who was 30 under par in this tournament last year on a different golf course. And we had a guy who had, you know, those back-to-back missed cuts in the middle of the summer. You know, it's this this kind of odd dichotomy that makes it kind of interesting. And another note about the guys near the top of the board, guys like Morikawa and Brooks Kepka, predictably really good iron statistics from that range I talked about, 175 and out, but they are really bad this season scrambling from the rough. So maybe... Mm-hmm a little reason to maybe drift away from those guys this week. Yeah. DJ is a guy that I've been on a, a few times recently, including uh, he was my pick to win in Memphis. I, I do think that the time I jump off DJ will be the time that he, he finally decides yeah. to turn it on and play well, but I've been waiting for both him and Justin Thomas to really get it going. And as everybody, I think in the golf betting industry has noted already this week, early in the week, JT has got a big number next to his name. The last time he had a big number next to his name that everyone jumped on was the Players Championship. So um, maybe there have been a couple others since then. But uh, as yes. far as as far as JT goes, too, I mean, look, the finishes haven't necessarily been there. He's still third on the PGA Tour instructing approach. Like his his ball striking numbers are still outstanding. The results just haven't come. You got to think it's going to happen in time. Why not? Twenty five to one to win. Looking right now on DraftKings. Yeah. A few other guys. I mean, you mentioned Paul Casey uh, still really like him. I think his season, uh, even though he won over on the European tour in Dubai early this year, he's not one on the PGA tour. And uh, I think that he's still hungry for that next victory at 44, by the way, Paul Casey does not get nearly enough credit for the kind of season that he has had, which is really, really good. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, I still think is going to break through at some point. And uh, I I would suggest, and in fact, Max Homa suggested this uh, on PGA tour radio. And we spoke with him last week in, in regard to Memphis and everyone kind of, uh, you know, crashing and burning over the last 90 minutes of that final round. But this super season, that the PGA tour has put together, this is week 48 of 50 on the schedule. And maybe everyone's just really, really mentally exhausted. And maybe that's, that's- not a season. That's just life. 50 weeks. <laughs> But maybe that can explain just why these guys look like they're just beat on Sunday afternoon, especially guys who have spent a few days on top of that leaderboard. And so I wonder if there's reason to go with a guy and, and Scotty Scheffler is the name that I mentioned, even though he looks like he's 45 years old, he's a young guy that maybe has more of the stamina at this point in the season than some of the other guys who are like, man, I got, I'm going back and forth. I got my family. I'm trying to play more events. I'm doing this I'm doing that. And I'm just wiped out. So uh, moving down the list a little bit, Adam Scott, I did not like last week, but now he's got a little taste of it. Even if uh, even if he can't make a four-footer under pressure, I still like Adam Scott a little bit. Uh, some big numbers down here on some really good players. Sun J.M. at 65-1. to 1. 
Jason Kokrak, 65 to one. And I'll just get down into the, uh, into the big numbers here. Jonathan Vegas has played great golf, six top twenties in his last eight starts. He's a hundred to one right now. And the one other guy that I'm going to point out, who's a big number, 250 to one. In fact, I believe he's 2000 to one to win the FedEx cup might be worth a buck or two just to uh, uh, have a little fun with it. But Dylan Fratelli has played his best golf J Ray uh, at the bigger tournaments. In fact, I've, I've got it right here where I really uh, thought you were going to say doc Redmond. I rolled your man. I rolled down, saw Doc at 250. Um, I'm off that one. But Dylan Fratelli, he shouldn't even be in the playoffs other than the fact that he finished T5 at the Masters back in November, T22 at the Players, T9 at the Match Play, and solo fifth at the Open Championship. And so uh, basically his four best results have been at four of the bigger tournaments out there that he's played in. And uh, who knows, maybe he just kind of gets up for these big events with all the big-name players in it. And so at 122... On the points list, hey, Keith Slocum was 124th back in the day, and he was able to win from that number. It's interesting. I got a couple guys I want to hit on going a little bit further back up the board Mm -hmm. real quick. Webb Simpson, top 20 finish in all three career starts at Liberty National. One of a handful of guys to make the cut here in 09-13 and 2019. I also mentioned he's among the leaders in scoring average when 175 yards away or further. Harris English is 40-1. to He's finished fourth or better in three of his last four tournaments. I know he sputtered down the stretch a couple weeks ago, but I think that's a really good value for him to maybe have a breakthrough week and come there and get another victory, bounce back. Here's another guy I think is interesting. No top tens in his last seven starts. Tony Finau kind of maybe drifting onto or off the Ryder Cup bubble, currently plus 450 for a top 10 finish this week. I was on Justin Rose last week at Wyndham, needed a big week to get into the playoffs. He ultimately missed by a single point. This kind of feels the same way for Tony Finau. He's in a spot where a big week could help. Top 10 Tony is overdue for a top 10, man. Seven straight starts without one. I don't know the next time we're going to see him plus 450 for a top 10 finish. Recent form doesn't really glow to me, but that could be a spot where Tony Finau kind of feels like Justin Rose did a week ago. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Any guys with big numbers next to their name that you're chasing this week? So I think Seamus Power is pretty interesting. Seven mm-hmm. top 20 finishes his last nine starts. He's got favorable numbers from that 175 and out metric. He's near the top 20 in scoring there. Really strong numbers around the greens this season. He should be able to handle that tough, rough green side at Liberty National. Currently 73rd in the FedEx Cup. I don't think anyone would be surprised if he's able to move up into that top 70 with a good week. And here's a guy we, we haven't talked about him much in the last few weeks. Talked about him a little more on this podcast in the summertime, in the springtime rather. Charlie Hoffman has only played in four tournaments since the beginning of June. I feel like he is very easy to forget about going into the playoffs this year. He is 32nd in the points. How about that? Like you think about, like I haven't thought about Charlie Hoffman in months. He's only, like I said, only played four times since the beginning of June. Was playing really good golf in the spring. Runner up in San Antonio, third at Colonial. That explains why he's 32nd. Outstanding iron play this season. Top 10 in proximity from 175 to 200. He was also on the 2017 President's Cup team at this golf course where they dominated. Four to one for a top 20 finish, I think is a pretty good value for Charlie Hoffman. One of five or six players to make the FedEx Cup playoffs every year so far, along with We're say, down to Mickelson. Six. Yeah, Mickelson, Adam Scott. Bubba. Bubba. I don't have the list right in front of me. Cue the Jeopardy sound. Man, Matt Mitchell, our producer, has it going right now. I wanted to be the one to pass along this information. We'll win. We'll get it done. You're going you're gonna to kick yourself. I've got the list. 
Right. One guy who is who is always going to be associated with the Wyndham Championship. Webb? Probably number two on that list. Number two on the Wyndham Championship line. And another guy Carl Pedersen. Be associated with a tournament that also finished on Sunday. Is it Matt Kuchar? Matt Kuchar, U.S. Amateur. Yeah, that's okay. the other end to finish. On okay. Sunday. And then the Wyndham one would be also associated. 59, Brant Snedeker. Oh, there you go. Yes, Ned. Bill, Bubba, Adam Scott, Matt Kuchar, Brant Snedeker, Charlie Hoffman. The guys who... Dropped off that list, Justin Rose, Charles Howell III, Ryan Moore. How about Charles Howell not even playing last week? Pretty remarkable. 20 straight years making at least a million dollars. Only he and Phil Mickelson have ever done that with the PGA Tour. He, he tried to make it. He was actually he was getting there, and then all the cash in his pockets was just like weighing him down, and he couldn't get to the first tee. He tried, though. He's getting ready for that fall run. He's ready. He, he's back out on the West ready. Coast where he's just, he's, you know, been an ATM for two decades. Absolutely. All right. I'll make a lineup here. Let's do it. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because God damn it. That's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Left, let's make our DraftKings lineup. All right. We do it every week on the gimme with Amanda Rose. You can catch that Wednesday, 830 PM Eastern time. Talking about the Northern Trust this week, and uh, we do it here on the podcast. Links in the locks. Uh, all right, give me your locks. You can start. All right, I'm going to start with a guy I mentioned a little while ago. Seven top 20s in his last nine starts. Favors well in a couple of the metrics I pointed out on the podcast. Approaches from 175 and out. Good around the greens. Seamus Power is only $7,000. I'm going to start off with him. Give us some more money to play with for these next five guys. Okay. I don't have the numbers in front of me necessarily, but... Uh, similar top 20 numbers, six in the last eight. And I talked about this guy as well. Big dude. I can't imagine that uh, he's not good from 175 and out. And I know he's got really uh, good hands around the green. So I think Jonathan Vegas is going to be able to step on that gas pedal and keep playing some good golf this week. And at 7,100, we have saved ourselves some money with the first two picks. Jonathan Vegas, always a favorite on a gambling show for sure. Now Johnny Vegas, uh, one of the best names in the game. And Oh, by the way, like, I, I'm going back like three years now where I've just been talking him up. Like, and, and the, the one thing I always say about him, you put a, a paper bag over the heads of a hundred players on the range and you go, all right, who's the best one or who, you know, one of the best you're going to look at Vegas and go, that guy swings really good. He chips it. Well, he puts it well. Like, how is that guy not a superstar? And maybe it's starting to happen just a little bit. First of all, how, where are you going to get all those paper bags? Second, you, someone's going to get hurt, Jason. That's just irresponsible. All right, third pick, I'm going with Paul Casey. Got eyes guy, out for him. Guy I mentioned, a lot of the metrics are really positive on this golf course. Second on the PGA Tour, getting up and down from the rough among the leaders in scoring when 175 yards and out. 8,700, I'm taking Paul Casey. Sometimes the metric that you need is this guy hasn't won yet and, like, at some point, all of them win. Like, at some point, it just happens. Did you know, how about this? There's only one player in the top 18 on the official World Golf Ranking who does not have a sanctioned victory in 2021 so far. Is it Scotty? No, nah, it's Louis Oosthuizen. Oh. He doesn't have a win. But if, right. you, if you go back to the top 20, there's three of them. One guy you mentioned, Webb Simpson. The other guy I mentioned earlier, Scotty Scheffler. I feel like it's, you know, at some point, this is the turnstile. It's everyone walk through, grab a ticket, get up to the deli counter, grab your trophy, and keep on going. I, I, Scotty Scheffler at some point is going to win something. 
Scheffler might make a Ryder Cup team and be PGA Tour Rookie of the Year before winning on the PGA Tour. Taking the Jeff Overton. Which is what Overton Ricky Fowler right. did. Did Jeff Overton did too, didn't he? He Overton never won. never won on the PGA Tour and was on a team. Ricky Fowler, before he won on the PGA Tour, he was Rookie of the Year and he was on a Ryder Cup team. Mm. Just that that doesn't help in any way with what we're doing here with this team. But just, Well, he might win this week and take care of all those things. There you go. How about that? All right, next pick, my last guy. We've got 17-9 for our last two players. Mm-hmm. Spend the money. Go do it. Uh, you know what? I, I don't think I need to spend all the money because I'm going to go with a guy who I didn't really get to talk about. My, I mentioned him briefly towards the end of the pod here. Top 20 finish in all three of his career starts at Liberty National. Played really well at the event where he is chairman, governor of the state, mayor of the city of Greensboro. Um, Webb Simpson, uh, among the leaders in scoring average from 175 and out. 8,900, I think, is a good price for him. This is not a golf course. We've looked, I looked at the numbers. The three guys who won didn't drive it particularly far that week. Um, I know distance has always benefit everywhere, but it's not priority number one on this course. Webb Simpson, 8,900. That leaves you with 9,000. Which is perfect because the guy that I like the best is 9,100. So I guess I should have picked Daniel Berger earlier, but um, <laughs> I guess he, he doesn't make this lineup. He'll make some other lineups for me. We're unscripted, folks. Uh, 8,600 take the guy who won here two years ago. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, great ball striker and really good around the greens. Patrick Reed, um, after taking a week off last week, and I, I believe I, everything I've heard from Camp Reed, I've been led to believe that it was just need some downtime and travel a lot. It wasn't some sort of injury, even though it was a late Tuesday afternoon withdrawal. So I, I think Patrick Reed is ready to, to get back out there and play some good golf. 8,600, lock them in. There's the lineup. Casey, Power, Reed, Scheffler, Simpson, Vegas. I like it. Ship it. Like Ship it. it. Jay Ray, any last words of wisdom? I like that call on Reed. Good to hear that's not an injury de facto defending champion basically coming back a couple years after winning here. Uh, no, no real wisdom. They, any, any wisdom you extract from me is, is going to be largely superfluous anyway. No, you have tons of wisdom. You, you are the locks. I am the links of this podcast. And speaking of which, thanks so much for listening to links and locks. You can uh, download, subscribe. I, I guess if you're listening this far, you've already done all those things, but we thank you and uh, do it please, again. Tell a friend, have a friend, tell a relative. It. Yeah. spread the news and, and rate us. Give us at least uh, J Ray wants five stars. I'm like, if I get two stars, I'm, I'm completely happy with that. Uh, that's better than um, I, I usually get, but uh, five or nothing. All right. Five or nothing. He, he's riding for five. So if you like J Ray, give us five stars. Like the Alabama <laughs> defense, it's all five stars, baby. <laughs> I was a two-star prospect. So uh, I still like those two, but yes, five stars, please. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Good luck with all your bets for this week's Northern Trust. And again, you can catch Jay Ray and I with Amanda Rose on the Gimme Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Check all your social channels, Action Network and Golf Bet, to find out exactly where. Here's hoping you hit the green this week. <laughs>